good people of Los Angeles, good people of the DMV. Tonight, via Zoom, via remote land, coming to you from halfway across the country, we got the DRC from the DMV. Douglas Reyes Seron has joined us on the podcast to talk all things Washington Spirit, all things DC United, all things the culture of DC, and of course, heavy on the Duke Ellington. That's right. It's an all jazz episode. Just kidding. We dip in and out of jazz. We dip in and out of a lot of things. We met Doug down in Atlanta. We've known some of us have known Doug for a little bit longer. He's a good guy, great ambassador to football uh, for this country and for his city. And we're so grateful for his time here to to be another one of our outside the LAFC universe supporters who comes in and kind of helps kick around ideas and learn about away days we all want to go visit and eat Nando's chicken. There you go. Slim, you want to hit him with the warning? Ladies and gentlemen, we're all at home. Uh, random noises from maybe Kobe. Um, yeah, not as loud as usual, but the same profanity. So if you're at work or around children where you shouldn't be listening to profanity, probably a good time to stop listening. My Get your Perry Perry sauce up, motherfuckers. <laughs> FCFC. Welcome to the FCFC pod, where two scholars and a dickhead look at the world through a black and gold tinted lens. It's your favorite Korean thicky, Slim, sitting on the digital screen this evening under me, as he always should be, is the spicy one, Josh Spice. Power bottom, power bottom, power bottom. <laughs> <laughs> to my right is the bearded one, the, the tea phenomenon, the dweez. As Unai Emery once said when he was coaching Arsenal, good evening, good evening, good evening, good evening. <laughs> yeah, I could already see what kind of energy Dewey's is on today from, from pre-production. Um, and tonight we have a very special guest, um, the homie from the other side of the country. Um, we met down in ISC, just, you know, bonded, uh, showed, showed mad love. And, uh, you know, we, we just kind of wanted him to come on and share a story we have from D.C. United and the Rose Room Collective, the co-founder of the Rose Room Collective, Mr. Douglas Reyes Seron on hey. the Digital Webs tonight. What's up, bro? What's up? I appreciate the invite to this thing tonight. It has been an absolute ride, but I'm excited to be here. Yeah, man. We, we appreciate you jumping on. It's been a long time coming. We've been talking about having you on for a while but uh yeah we're glad we you you could finally pencil this in uh through with all your your footy and and college football accolades going on these days and uh thanks for fitting us in your media run doug yeah on the press tour doug thank you very much for for fitting our little podcast in 
Man, I, I this, <laughs> this week has been the absolute fucker of a week, and I was just like, "How the hell does this happen?" I, I, I don't understand. Yeah, if you if you need more Doug after this episode, uh, there there's more of him on Z Soccer Podcast uh, on this week's episode as well. So Pull nobody up. nobody needs that much more Doug. Be real. <laughs> no one needs that much. We did more, and that's why you're here this evening, Doug. Heck yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Doug, we met in Atlanta, and I've, all I've been able to say to myself every night is, I need, I need more Doug. More Doug. So, <laughs> Look, thank that's God what today's for me. about. Look, thank God for me, obviously, right? <laughs> I wish I had that kind of ego <laughs> yeah. to actually say that, but no. Uh, it's, no, that was, that was one of the funnest trips I've ever had, meeting y'all in Atlanta. That vibe, that whole weekend was just unreal. Got, gotta love the South, man. Well, yeah, no, we'll I think we'll talk on your travels in, in a bit, but... Um, yeah. No, I was just going to say, let's get into some more recent football memories a little bit later in the pod. But like in the very beginning of our podcast, Doug, we like to take it all the way back. And we want to hear about your very first football memory. Word, sure. Um, So raised in El Salvadoran household, I'm Salvadoran American, family immigrated from El Salvador to the U.S. here and then had me. And I think earliest memories was stuff involving... Uh, six years old, DC United came into the fray. They also had a bunch of uh, U.S. national teamers and Salvis as well. Shout out to Raul Diaz Arce. He was the man back in the day. And they were pretty smart to recruit in the area. Had Raul pull up to meet people in the region. He was a rock star in those communities. And that's how my family got pulled into DC United back in the day. I have some photos with those dudes from the first game. So... Yeah, uh, six years old back in 1996. Before that, there was no Salvadorian national team memories or like playing on the schoolyard or any of that kind of stuff. Like football was kind of a foreign thing to you, even in your home. And then all of a sudden, DC United came along. Well, I guess I should add from the stuff I can remember as a kid, there was, I think, stuff revolving like the World Cup and El Salvador qualifiers that they were a part of, but I admittedly those memories are a little bit hazier for me. I guess the DC stuff is like the first real distinct one I can think of off the top of my head that just dominates my brain. But my family was all in well before I was even born. Like they were following teams like uh, FAS back in the day, back in El Salvador in the motherland. Didn't uh, Rodolfo Zelaya come from FAS? Is that a is that a deep cut for for anyone in the in the in the El Salvadorian football world? I could be wrong. He might not have. He might oh, have but he was he was a brief uh, LAFC uh, player. We had one memorable moment between him and Carlos that led to a goal in Real Salt Lake, if I remember correctly. But otherwise, uh, yeah, we've been we've been starved of our El Salvadorian contingent. I know we got lots of kids in the academy who've got who've got roots in ES. But um, yeah, so so you start going to DC United games pretty regularly, pretty early on. Is that right? Like you, you kind of like were even as a kid, the I'm not going to miss a game type. Yeah. My family had season tickets and I was like, Oh, this is fun. So started going for it. And we kept going for years up until like, shit, like 20, I want to say 2013, 20. No, well, let's say somewhere in the 2010s. It was after I left for college. Then we stopped. I don't, my memory's a little hazy, but it was for a while. And all those early, all those earliest games were at RFK Stadium, weren't they? Isn't that where they played up until the new park got built? Yep, my favorite old raccoon's nest. 
that raccoons <laughs> next. Wait, break that down for people because were there really raccoons and did you ever encounter them? Oh hell yeah, there were. <laughs> so RFK is like a decrepit snake pit, but it was our fucking decrepit snake pit. We love that shit. Um, that place is now, I think, seventy years old. We probably shouldn't have even been using it back then, but fuck it. That was the only stadium around, and it was famous for the fact that like you could kind of go into even the seats and be like oh there's a raccoon right there there's a bird or some kind of zoo around there it was there long enough for nature to have taken back its you know it's part of the stadium right it was it wasn't just for humans anymore you know i, I appreciate that i'm a i'm pro nature you know i'm nature forward kind of guy same uh, here Maybe, you know, maybe someday some of these falcons we let off in the bank will start roosting up in the rafters and we'll get some live, you know, live uh, live-in residents at the bank as well. Yeah. Uh, so, Sorry, yeah, I was so, going to say, at some point, the animals, that's going to be their stadium now. Y'all are just the renters. <laughs> I approve. Yeah, I we're, approve we're, we're waiting for a falcon action, I think. That's that's kind of been, um, and now that we've said it, I'm sure that it, it'll, it'll, uh, it'll happen in front of us, but... You see this we for, for Christian Lau, if you're listening, all right, when we talk about the spirit of a stadium, the ghosts of a stadium, the beauty of an old decrepit stadium that's your own, if with all this face Apple Pay and facial recognition, where will the raccoons go, my guy? Where the hell will the raccoons go? You see, come on, stop trying to advance. We're moving too fast. You know, we gotta we gotta turn it back to a time. When we you were, can just, we were, you can no, you can just include you can include raccoons in the facial recognition. It's like certain ones will be allowed to kind of be, you know, in the mix. Just get a little scanner for the for the animals that scurry along the planks and keep it rocking. Yeah, y'all can appoint them as club ambassadors and get them their own little lanyards. Come on. That's so this crazy. new so 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 Doug, this new stadium, Audi Field, I believe, is still the sponsor, right? Yeah, Audi Field is is uh, devoid <laughs> of such visitors and how has that affected your experience of the dc united uh it's definitely a cleaner stadium it's definitely got less animals in there which i guess i'll generally say is a plus i do have times where i miss it because it was so easy to tailgate outside the stadium there's like football fields worth of parking that's not the case anymore but it's admittedly a lot easier to reach and it's way steeper, so you don't have a bad seat in the house. It has its issues, but honestly, I don't really give a shit. Bringing it back to RFK real quick, uh, what? Give us some of kind of your favorite memories of those of those early years of MLS Dumb. You know, like on this pod, we've we've talked to some folks with other supporter groups, but I think you're the first we've had on who's who's been a kind of a supporter since day one of MLS, since MLS first started, and remembers going to those games. Shout out to Joe Zacker. I know he, you know, he also went to the early Galaxy games at the Rose Bowl before they moved. But you know, you were there from the beginning. What were some of those like early memories of early MLS that like either drew you even further towards it, or sometimes made you want to repel and run away forever? Uh, in terms of the earliest days, it was a little bit more of a wild, wild west show out there. Like we weren't supposed to really be tailgating out in those parking lots, but who gave a shit? We just did it anyway. Um, the A lot of the players I would have said were probably a lot more approachable. A lot of these teams were a lot slimmer, a little bit more haphazardly put together. So it wasn't uncommon to see them after games or do stuff like that or even correspond with them. Uh, my mother had a friendship with Royal DSRC, so it was very easy for her to reach out to them. Mm. Um, and then going on to like later on, like 
witnessed stuff like the 2004 Eastern Conference Final, which is my favorite MLS game of all time. Remind like, us, remind us all who weren't watching yeah. in 2004 what who who featured in that one. So that's the DC United versus the New England Revolution, and they had to go all the way to penalty kicks to win that game. And that felt like, and I was in the supporters section for that one, that felt like the stadium probably could have collapsed that day. Everyone was hyped beyond no tomorrow. Um, and, sorry. Yeah, t- yeah. No, t- talk to you a little bit more about that. Like, what were the supporters of DC United then? Was it still kind of the same groups? Was it, um, ha- you know, how has that part evolved? Uh, yeah, so the main two crews from back in the day were Barra Brava and Screaming Eagles. Eagles are still around. Barra is an interesting case right now. Um, but they were the ones keeping the section loud as hell back in the day and keeping it rocking. And that was an unreal atmosphere that got started. You know, they were like, you know, anybody welcome, come on through, do your thing, just get loud and support this team. And that's where the iconic stands bouncing up and down came out of because everyone was so energized. They caused the seats to move up and down. And give us a visual here. Is RFK like filled to the brim for that game? Is it just kind of the two sides of the stadium? Um, um, two sides of the lower bowl and some part of like the upper deck. The upper deck wasn't filled out, but hmm. lower bowl is pretty fleshed out. Um, I do have one other soccer memory I was going to go into now that you made me realize it, but stick to this that, one for now. No, let's do it. Let's do it, bro. Yeah. Let's go into it. Let's go in. This what, that's what we do on this pod. We hit those memories. Uh, the one other one I was just thinking about just now when you had me ask that question, we had Ronald, Ronaldinho had just transferred to Barcelona and one of the first games he got to play in with Barca was AC Milan versus Barca at RFK Stadium back in 2003. That place was packed to the brim, top and bottom levels over, I don't know, 40, 50,000 plus. Uh, I think that was Ronaldinho's first start, but he had gotten his first minutes prior the moment that man came in and started doing his magic, oh my god, that was one of the most unreal scenes I ever did. One man just tearing through AC Milan's defense like no tomorrow, and he put on a show. I still have the program guide from that somewhere in my mess of a house. So tell us about like you know how even early on you know you felt or understood like that relationship with the supporters. It sounds like your mom was like really into the club. Was, was she in one of the groups where it was, were you guys like always standing with the supporters or sometimes you just had the regular seats and like, how did that kind of part go? And you know, how often you guys were participating in like actual, you know, singing and flags and all that. It's kind of funny now that I think back on it. Uh, she was never formally part of them, but she always appreciated what they do. She was just a person that was just like, I kind of want to sit. I don't want to move. I don't yeah, want to yeah. do shit. And I get it. And I totally respect that. So she would sit on the other side of the stadium, the quiet side. But she was friends with the Barra Brava folks. She knew some of the Eagles folks. So while she didn't engage on it directly, she was still always down and knew everybody in that scene. So she kind of had already laid the groundwork for me, I guess, back in the day, even when I had was just out there gang affiliated, just not in the gang. Exactly. She knows how to play the game. (laughs) That's what's up, man. Um, So what was that supporter culture like back then? Like, what are some of the things that are different now compared to then? And what are some of the things that never changed? Well, uh, it was primarily two crews that have been here for the longest time. Uh, I'm trying to think of how to approach this carefully because we've seen so much shit the last few years. Um, in terms of the supporter relationships, 
they, early on, they were always pretty welcoming. You know, hey, if you want to come chill, be loud with us, come on through. They were open, welcoming with open arms. Certain groups had their own vibe. Barbara Brava had their own vibe. Their own vibe. I can't speak today. But the point being was like, hey, we offer you two different flavors of support or whichever way you want to go, come through. Mm-hmm. And it was, all, it was all good. And then more crews would pop up and things started changing from there. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of the, the life and times of supporter culture with any club. I'm sure it's, it's all glitz and glamour. And then once, you know, you've been around long enough for the, the clicks to form, then it's harder to, to break into those circles. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, when everyone's new, it's easy to, to become friends with everyone. Um, yeah. yeah, man. That's I- so- Oh, I was going to add real quick. There are still some people from the 96 days there today, which is a, is its interesting double-edged sword, I would put it as. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, those those early days of MLS were so different from what we have now, like on so many different levels, number of teams, kind of way that the way that the game actually functioned within the game. I mean, think of thinking of those penalty shootouts like back then, how they had that. That's something that people often bring up and just the way that like, yeah, foot, where football was in America at that time versus where it is now. Uh, but I do know that, you know, for people who are familiar with the league, uh, they they kind of think of DC United as the, the early best team in the league, right? Like the team that set the bar uh, with a lot of trophies early on. I think they won the, first two inaugurals the inaugural first two seasons is that right the yeah. first two and then third one like a year later uh we would have got we would have had a three-peat if it wasn't for the fucking fire but that's whatever the fire and that bob bradley you know right out the gate um so <laughs> so we got we got you guys had like four titles pretty pretty early on and then obviously things have wavered in in good spells and bad spells since then i think I saw that, like, if you look at all U.S. soccer, like, over time, there are three teams that have, like, the equal number of trophies, and it's D.C. United, the Galaxy, and the New York Cosmos, like, for all, for all, like, you know, most titles and cups and, you know, intercontinental titles and all that. How have you seen kind of, like, the supporters at D.C. United, like, kind of, like, ebb and flow with those periods of success? And, like, what have you kind of, like, learned about, support in in that sense i think part of the double-edged sword about being here so early is and having that early success is that everyone kind of developed a clearly our way is the way this is the only way to do it so it became kind of a my way or the highway mentality and over the years people got so stuck in their ways it, it has become very hard for it to like pivot in any new directions so especially in the move to audi fields a lot of crews had got shell shocked and how much it changed the vibe and changed how to operate around here. So it was a struggle for a lot of folks. And I think also they didn't keep up with the times and keep up with like seeing with what like LA is doing, what Atlanta is doing, what a lot of these new teams are doing. They have adapted and changed. Like they are not, they're a very different flavor than everything else. And the supporters here some are starting to get the picture, but it's still kind of an uphill battle getting folks to understand where it, it is at right now. Yeah, that's the when hardest you, thing with longevity is is having to reinvent yourself at some point. Yeah, when you when you kind of get into those conversations, Doug, I mean, as someone who was there from the beginning, but sounds like you also sort of like see the light of things that you know could change in order to help 
the DC United supporter, you know, DC United itself, like evolve or football in, in the city itself evolve. Uh, do you feel like you can bring like clout to those conversations or is it just so hard to kind of like talk to the, the people with the new ideas and the people with the old ideas and like be that bridge? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I have hope that it can change, but it's taking, it's going to take a while. There's a lot of things to turn in regards to changing hearts and minds, having some individuals realize, oh, maybe I've been here too long. Um, getting these things turning. We have been very good as of late getting new brains, younger folks involved in the supporter scene. That's kept me really excited with the things I've been developing. Mm. And so I feel, I feel optimistic about where it's going, but it won't happen overnight. And it's still an uphill battle, even as of this week. Yeah. So tell, tell us about, I mean, to the extent that you want to, like, tell us, bring us, bring us like up to the moment, up to speed, like what kinds of things as of this week are crazy or like, you know, what, what is like on Doug's plate, like right now, that's to the extent you want to talk about it, you know, obviously oh. we know how that some of that stuff gets dicey, but. Oh, it's all good. Uh, I was thinking about this before I was going to hop on. Uh, so a lo- they shocked the MLS world when they fired Hernan Losada earlier today and, or not today, last week. Mm. there was a lot of fallout from that because of the sense that like, oh, this man was going to turn a new page, start something different, doing new things. Firing him feels like a step back for a lot of folks. Supporters here didn't take that well. So they launched a protest at the last game versus the revolution where they took away all the drums, all the flags, went, mm. went silent, abandoned the section. And the front office is reacting to that. And it's become a day-to-day thing right now, but it's still a work in progress. And what happened today was recently that, uh, so I produced the Soccer Pod, which is a podcast with Julian Gressel of DC United and Fabian Herbers in Chicago. And they actually asked me, hey, do you want to explain what the hell's going on with your scene? Hmm. And I was like, sure, knowing what I know and summarize it all up. And there are more things turning literally by the hour as that goes on. So it's still like, Still have some DMs I probably have to open after this call, after this recording. So jo- Josh was just in, in Paris uh, over a couple of weeks back, and he got to see kind of firsthand the PSG fans let their disapproval be heard uh, about things that had been going on at their club. But now we're talking to a guy who's, who's seeing it happen, you know, it, with his own club here in MLS. Spice, do you, do you got any things you're curious about and how, how Doug's sort of managing all this yeah i mean the doug you just at the center of of the revolution as always as i see but um no that's that's i think that's incredibly powerful like i that to, to, for the supporters of dc united to to form kind of a boycott it shows kind of at least for me looking from the from the outside like a really strong unified voice to do something that's probably unpopular even if the decision was unpopular to let the coach go um in the first place but do you feel like there's um a larger, larger cloud and a larger voice that that you thought that um, that than, than you had previously thought after after the supporters had made the stance last game. I so um, are you talking about my own voice or the supporters' voice in a general sense? Supporters' voice in like in inside the club and, and with the club relations. So part of. Uh, mm-hmm. I know the supporters have had their own powerful voice before because one of the things about being a 96 team is that this is not our first rodeo of having to deal with the front office. There's even 
things that there are even past protests that I wasn't even around for when I had stepped away from the scene for a little bit. Like when I was away in college, stuff had blown up beforehand and supporters took action. Even as recently as 2018, there was drama involving different supporters and stuff to the point of uh, supporters going up to the Audi field opening ceremony. So this is not our first, first rodeo doing this kind of thing. And for me personally, this is actually my second time in a second straight year doing something like this. Mm. Except not for the DC United side. I was involved in a lot of the stuff on the Washington Spirit side, Spirit. which which was a lot heavier because of the subject matter of what occurred at that club. Mm. For for yeah, people, the, well, sorry, so Josh. Ahead. I was just gonna say for people who don't know what that what you what you're talking about, uh, like what was going on on the Washington Spirit side, or you know, kind of remind us. Sure. Um, so the previous so at the Washington Spirit last year. Former player Kaya McCullough and a few other unnamed players spoke up about the culture of abuse and racism they had had to deal with while they were there. And this bombshell report by the Washington Post came out and it kind of blew up everything going on at that club. And it kind of it started the wave of other revelations at other NWSL teams about the kinds of abuse going on. And so we took up our own actions against the owner of the team who had allowed this to go on. I had my own fun incident where I brought a team that, or I brought a sign that said, sell the team Steve in reference to Steve Baldwin, the previous owner. And uh, that incident made it into the Washington post and defector media. Wow. That's insane. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, I, we were, following as closely as we could from the Twitter sphere about what was going on in great support of, um, of, of both Rose room and also the, the people fighting for the spirit players to spirit players and mostly spirit management to be held accountable, not the players, but the management to be held accountable for the, all the horrible action from before. But I mean, it's, I know Washington and DC as a, as a strong sports town, as a, as one of the kind of stalwarts of East coast kind of sports them in a lot of different ways. But in terms of the, pro like, you just said, like, this is not a first rodeo. In terms of that kind of protest culture built in, is, do you feel like that's just a soccer thing? Because I can't imagine, like, I, from what I remember from, um, like, you know, following the NFL, MLB, NBA, like, I know the when it was the Washington football team, now, um, I forgot what the Commodores, whatever, when they were protesting the name of it for forever, that was a protest. But I felt like it was a very much a Native American protest. And there was a lack of, uh, there was a real lack of at least public public support for it. But like just this idea that, hey, if things, including not only the, the hor horrors of sexual abuse and mismanagement, but also like letting go of a coach's beloved, like, do you feel like that's ingrained in just the soccer sphere in, in DC? Or is that more of an, a hotbed for uh, in, in, uh, across sports in general? I would say it's a little bit of a mixture of all of the above. I think soccer does allow for more breathing room for those kinds of actions to occur because of how energized supporters get. I mean, it's the only sport that literally has things like supporter groups here in the United States. So that already inherently brings out the ability to, uh, to get your voices out there if something like this were to happen. And then it's because it's Washington, D.C. We are used to having all sorts of activists and people of that of that kind of and, and um organizers that know how to rally around take action do things learn from others um i know like like one of my dudes from one of the other supporter groups is a union organizer 
or not a union organizer, excuse me, um, union member, but he learned a lot of things of that trade. Uh, they all kind of learn from each other. You take actions from each other, learn what you can, and it kind of just coalesces around in moments like this. I mean, mm. I, I do think just on the outside, I've only been to DC for, you know, just one trip when my 20s, I was probably there for five days. But when I think of DC, it's it's got to be like, the hotbed for bike protests and organizing. And I mean, you know, you're talking about the center of power in America in a lot of ways. Right. And like people speaking out against it sort of, I would imagine comes, comes fluent. And I'm not surprised to hear that you guys have some organizers like kind of in your midst with the club and in the supporters. I mean, we have some, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, most clubs which have strong support around the U S don't have, you know, an organizer dotted in here or there, a community organizer, someone who's, you know, been involved on the, on the protest side. I, I think like Seattle obviously has a rich tradition of that happening too. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, folks and their supporters have, have some of that going on. But yeah, when I think of DC, I just, I think of, yeah, protest culture. I mean, like for better and worse, right? Like, you know, in, in more recent years, I think that's not been the type of protests uh, some of us here would have, would have participated in, but you know, the ones you got the million man March, you've, you've got, you know, people gathered in the mall for, it's just the most iconic photos of protesting probably in American history take place in DC. Do you feel like that, that culture kind of like pumps through the veins of supporters in, in DC football and culture? Uh, I would say, Funny enough, I would say not, mm, that's a funny one because I don't always associate these supporter groups with protesting, but more and more they've had to get a lot smarter about how to do these kinds of actions. And maybe not in the past, but starting more recent years, I've been noticing more intentional tactics. So it, it might have been a thing that it, it took time for it to get there, but I've noticed some of the actions have gotten more uh, deliberate in a way that I'm like, okay, the, y- y'all didn't pull this out of nowhere. I would say in the last few years, that's become a little more noticeable. Interesting. And uh, going back to Josh's question, I think the only other sporting like fan group that has that type of ability would be college sports, right? And that kind of is the perfect segue for for Doug's other passion, which is college college football and its fandom, right? Um, what's what's the podcast called again, Doug? So so I worked on uh, Shutdown Fullcast After Dark. Mm. That is a joint production by the folks at the Shutdown Fullcast and Metal Arc Media, Dan Lebitard's media company. Ah, okay. Shout out Dan Lebitard. Hey. Unless you're about to unless you're about to slander him and not slander him, but rip him and don't take that back. But go ahead, <laughs> Doug. <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, I had a I, I freaking loved working on that show. And I think the hilarious thing is that I got that job because I was shit posting on Twitter. Uh, really? Nice. I mean, literally all I did was that I took clips of the podcast. So there's two shows. There's the F- Shutdown Fullcast. That's been the flagship show that's existed for like eight, nine years. And then through Levitard, they formed a new version of it, like a spinoff called After Dark where they would go live on Twitter spaces and do the podcast recording. I got noticed by the crew just because I would take clips that I really enjoyed and posted them on Twitter. And apparently no one else had done that for that show, and they were impressed with it. So they were like, hey, 
you, we saw you can video edit and do some audio editing. Do you want to do this? And I was like, sure. Fuck <laughs> it. All right. That's awesome. I, I don't really know what the fuck I'm doing, but sure. That's dope. For those, for those unfamiliar with Twitter, Twitter.com's prestige personality, Doug over here. Doug is a fucking menace on Twitter. For a man, you're you're a scary one because your your vocabulary is so extensive and you have good intentions, but sometimes you feel like you want to troll the shit out of people who probably deserve it. And it's a scary, funny thing where I'm just like, I hope I'm just never in this crosshairs because Doug <laughs> will just fucking eviscerate me. <laughs> no, I'm I would never do that to you. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. Don't worry about that. I don't know, man. I, I'm i just a dude. I'm just some dumbass with a Twitter account. I don't know. I just try to do, I speak my own voice and do what I can out there. I don't know really now how I d- developed it, but fuck it. It works and it just clicks in this brain that I don't even have a full grasp of sometimes. We're we love, going to go we from lo- speaking from yourself to speaking on behalf of some other people in uh in the next segment, but Dweezy, do you have something to, to, to preclude that with? No, I was just going to say we love that brain and what it's spitting out so far in the first segment. And uh, yeah, let's take our first break and we'll be back with the next round of, of brain with Doug. Brain with Doug. <laughs> brain with Doug. <laughs> Good Jesus. I like that. back here with fcfc pod here with douglas reyes set on we got the whole the three that the hyphenated last name here we we got we got doug of the rosen collective here with us on on the digital airwaves and um i think it's it's due time that i brought back my famous segment that's that's right everyone it's id the ig fcfc's one and only segment the only one that matters where we look where we just fucking rip off uh, hot ones and we look at a past IG post that Doug Uh-oh. put up and we ask for the context. No, this isn't too far back because I wanted I wanted to tie this in. I, there's some there's some there's some gems in there. Doug. Oh, this explains something. Okay, let's go. Okay, okay. I'm not gonna use that one. I, I'm sorry. I, I followed Doug earlier um, through FCFC and been. You're you're good. Really let's just fucking posts. go for it. But uh, no, this is just uh, I wanted to show our, our guys here um, the incredible incredible flag that you painted that you were talking, referring to before it says, it does indeed say the sell the team, Steve. And the caption is you heard us, Steve Baldwin. Were, was your mom very proud that you were in the Washington post? She was more like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Wait, can I, before, before, before we continue, can I, can I just say that comma is excellently placed on that? And there's not enough commas in signs and other good punctuation. And so I think that the post clung on to, to that just for sheer grammatical excellence on Doug's part. And so that's why they call him DRC from the DMV. Let's go, baby. Woo! Woo! <laughs> the things that get our Wait. podcast hosts excited <laughs> is just fucking beyond me. I love it, though. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> DRC DMV, have you used... Was that your AOL screen name at one point? No, it was some other incomprehensible bullshit that I don't want to bring up ever again. <laughs> I don't even remember. It was some weird string of letters and words, and I'm like, oh, what the hell is wrong with you, Past Doug? What the fuck were you on? Past Doug. But let me read the, the IG bio for the Rose Room Collective. 
um, the newest at Wash Spirit and at DC United supporter group on the block, a collective of intersectional POC soccer supporters. Link here, rrc.pridraiser.org is for, is that for a fundraiser? Yeah, we've got a pride raise. We've got a, sorry, we've got a fundraiser going on right now for the NWSL Challenge Cup um, that, are, that is benefiting the Black Trans Coalition based out of Texas. With everything that was going on down there, we wanted to support an organization like that so people could pledge however much money per every goal the Washington Spirit scored during the Challenge Cup. And it's mm-hmm. been a pretty great success so far. Heck yeah, man. And we've um, we've had the pleasure of having uh, the wonderful woman of the NWSL to LA um, kind of movement and uh, Lindsay Rojas uh, on in, in, in the past to talk about Angel City's foundation, even prior to that, just bringing Angel City there. But can you talk us through the origin of Rose Room and understanding what it what it means to both support uh, the men's and women's game um, from D.C.? Sure. I mean, it kind of came down to... Uh, one of our co-founders and one of my best friends for years, a gentleman named Aaron Bland, DC native like myself. We had actually talked about for a couple years about starting our own supporter group about just because we were kind of already even back in, I'd say 2017 or 2018, tired of some of the drama supporters had gone through even then and just the state of things were like something needs to change. But it didn't quite click with us how to go about it on until I actually attended ISC and I met a bunch of these folks and realized, oh, you know, and this is kind of common in our part, I think, is that my, pre- my preconceived idea of what a supporter group held on for a while. And then once I met everybody there, once I met like Jake, once I met Slim, everybody here, I was like, wait a minute. No, we, it didn't have to be this exact sort of way. We can do it a little differently. And so Aaron and I, over the course of, I'd say it's summer 2020. We really started making this idea really serious. Like we were actually going to fucking go for it this time and put it around non-white supporters in the scene for the two clubs and recruited a few more people that we knew wanted to take a swing at this and built it out over the course of, yeah, summer 2020 was a really big moment for us. And we realized we should go for it and led up to, we are going public the month of February, 2021 Aaron wanted to do it that month, especially with uh, it being Black History Month and so forth. We we're like, let's get it done that month. So gotcha. what's, what's that building process been like, you know, just just from the idea to, to you know, reaching out to, to individuals and, you know, like seeing the growth of that? What, what's yeah. How how's that been for you? Uh, it took a while. It took having a lot of different individual conversations. At one point, I know I DM'd you about like, hey, how the how the hell did you get Tigers going? Talk to Jake, how to do that. I also want to shout out uh, one of my favorite people in the NYCFC scene, Rox Fontaine. He used to be the former president of the Third Rail. He was instrumental for, he was actually a huge help in figuring out our name. He told me the process of how uh, he had founded the name for uh, the Apollo Collect- uh, um, Apollo Culture Club. And through a lot of these processes, we started drilling down the name, bylaws, things of like, you know, what we want to expect out of people that join us. Mm-hmm. Um, also want to shout out Featherstone Flamingos and the flock at Ford Madison. Those guys were also instrumental to how we started building ourselves here. Yeah, and, they're great over there. Yeah, I love that crew. And so over time, started figuring ourselves out, and we realized, okay, got the name sorted out, 
we looked up, we, we honed in on Duke Ellington, who's an icon of the city, musician that just is associated with us forever and ever. Looked at his music. He's got a famous song called Rose Room, and we realized, and then since we wanted to make it a group of POC supporters, we realized, you know, Rose Room Collective. And, and recognizing Duke Ellington and recognizing the diversity of the city, that's the name we locked in on. And then from there, we carried that energy to when we went public. That's awesome. And and how was that received by um, the those original couple of supporter groups, like you breaking off and starting your own thing and as he cracks his neck to prepare himself to answer this question? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that bad. A lot of it was that we had already told people behind back channels, like in DMs, we were like, hey, we're going to do this. Like, we're just giving we're just letting you know, like this mm-hmm. is happening, by the way. Um like we told Spirit Squadron, who is the main Washington Spirit supporter group, they were like, "Yeah, go for it. This is great." They're like, "Help wherever we can," and so forth. On the DC United side, it was definitely an interesting reaction. Some some folks got it, some folks didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I was expecting that. I knew this was going to be a bit of a shell shock to a lot of people. And it was like, "Well, y'all y'all will figure it out along the way. <laughs> it's going to be like it'll be a bit of an education moment, but it's time. We got to yeah. change this shit." And it was pretty fortunate that that happened and it turns out it helped also be a catalyst for new folks to like realize, okay, maybe things should change around here. Mm. Not even that long after we went public, also a new supporter group for LGBTQ plus people called 202 unique also came up in the ether after us. So that helped like turn the energy around this scene a bit. Still a work in progress, but we're, it's been revitalizing things. Yeah, and Doug and I were we had the great honor and pleasure of being on the Can I Kick It podcast, the video podcast, hosted um, co-hosted by our, our dear friend uh, co- uh, dear friend Grego. But I think in that I I kind of just sat down and like was listening and learned a lot about just a lot of POC POC led black led black supporter groups um, and POC supporter groups. So. Can you distinguish for us what where Rose Room fits in? Is it POC led? Is it POC exclusive? Is it POC culture first, and anyone can join eventually? What what is what does the POC led kind of mean for you? For me, it's anyone that identifies as non-white explicitly. Um, we and we want to make it exclusively to that. So we realized we wanted to have a safe space for ourselves. We have our own private Slack channel, and we wanted to just have our socials out there, have make ourselves public out there. Because we realized how how white the other supporter groups were, like straight up, like the leaderships of them. Uh, I, I one of my first vivid memories I can remember was the fact that in our first major supporter group meeting with the DC United Front Office, other than the Latino band La Banda del Distrito, which is our noise making group, like our our band group. They brought in. They're all Latino, so they. I, had, I was not worried about them. But outside them, bringing the other groups, we were the only ones that brought in any non-white folks into the thing. It was myself, it's Aaron, it's Marissa and Sarah Colossi, a black man, a black woman, and a Lebanese Arab woman. We brought in probably the most non-white folks into that meeting that DC had seen in past meetings. Mm-hmm. That was the one when I realized, oh shit, yeah, we needed to do this. And do you think that's that's a larger DC sports culture thing in general, where not even powerful fans, but like fans in some kind of standing, are mostly 
are mostly white and have always been white and people have been shut out. Cause I remember from the podcast we were on together, it was a, it was a talk on, we need these groups to POC groups to stand by their own because even the marketing, the way that the club is reaching out to their communities is incorrect and is, is um, shallow or completely missing. Is that, is that kind of the, do you feel like that's the standard that that room you entered in where it was mostly white folk was a standard of DC sports at the time? Or do you feel like, um, the soccer, the soccer sphere was unique in that way. I'd say it's a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, some teams definitely have a wider audience than others, I notice. So that's, it wasn't inherently new to me. But in DC United's case, they had kind of drifted away from the Latino-centric audience that they had built. And frankly, I had never really seen them really make hard outreaches to Black supporters in this region either. So it definitely was obvious to me that at some point, sometime around like late 2000s into the 2010s that really started drifting away like when when they got started like they had a latino radio station broadcast all their games everything was in dual language and then that all went away over the course of time and the fan base started becoming whiter and whiter even the supporter groups both were founded by from right screaming eagles was led was was founded i should say by a Taiwanese immigrant, and then Barra Brava was all Latino-founded. And then over the course of the years, all of them became white-led crews. So at some point, they all lost their way, and it kind of just hit me where I was like, we got to bring this back a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's no, that's, that's really... Um, even the way that you you and your family were received or like, or met DC United was outreach into your community, right. By a Salvadorian player as well. And so when that starts to become like removed and sapped away from the, the club's DNA, like it does take new blood and new people to be like, we're missing the mark again and again. And, and it, I think it's that kind of safe space that I understand now through, through your group and through, through others throughout um, the States here, it definitely kind of offers like, um, it does offer like a well, you know, a, a space that's much needed. Like, cause I think there is still kind of, um, there is still a, a, a stereotype of MLS, their prime, that who they want their audience to be are wealthy suburban folk. Like the people who don't make too much of a fuss, but can spend enough to be at the game with six or seven people. Right. And I think there's genuine and bona fide reasons why people fans of color feel like that's still the reality because in the way that they advertise the, the, the lack of dual language radio stations, like you were saying. And so I do think that this kind of new chapter of POC led or POC even exclusive kind of groups is, is much needed to see this game continue to grow. Right. I think what's been helping me on this front and what's kept me optimistic is not only the reception to Roseroom Collective, Thankfully, DC United have themselves been also making new strides and bringing it back together. I think the game changer that astonishingly happened roughly around the same time window, right when we were getting Rose Room up and building, was the hiring of Danita Johnson to the club. That, her being the first African-American woman to run an MLS club. And there were people out here questioning, oh, she comes from a WNBA background. What? She doesn't have any soccer experience. Why would she have an idea about running DC United. And if anything, I would argue that's even better experience for this town than anything like that. And more critically, she she might not have known soccer that well. She knows DC because she's a former executive for the Washington Mystics. She was here for a while. So more importantly, she knows DC than anything else. 
For sure. And for, for Dweez and for, for Sam, have you seen that? Like, I mean, we've, we've all talked about our lack of interest in the galaxy, but for you, for you two who have been um, kind of part of the, the LA and LA residences in your, in your past, like you feel like there is with LAFC and with these newer clubs and even now galaxy, do you feel like there's more of an outreach portion that's trying to be more, uh, uh, more equal opportunity for, for all people? Question mark. Glenn, you want to go first or you want me to go first? Um, yeah, I'll go first. I, I think, yeah, that's that's kind of what the the mission statement of our club was from the get, right? Like, um, my brain's farting right now, so you actually go first, Luis. <laughs> so right now, just for people who aren't watching the video stream, all we're seeing is just the top of Slim's, like, he's, he's like he's looking <laughs> over a wall and that wall is like all of us in this conversation. And he's just like, yeah, I'm not going over there yet. Uh, (laughs) It was pretty funny. No, but uh, yeah, look, um, it's kind of interesting the way, you know, listening to Doug describe the early days of DC United. It's my understanding, like, and I didn't go to galaxy games early on at the Rose bowl days, but I, I believe that they were really a lot better about aligning themselves with, the, divi- the di- diverse multicultural population we have in Los Angeles in the beginning. Um, from a player standpoint, for sure, uh, but also down to like just the way that maybe they were welcoming in folks. I can't like bring up advertisements to mind right now, but like, you know, it seemed to be a, a lot more like, hey, let's celebrate the city of Los Angeles. And then once they moved down to Carson, and they were literally in the suburbs, uh, in, in a sense, right? Um, and you had to get get on the freeway to get down there, and you had to. It was just this. It became something different. But I think the moment it really changed was with the David Beckham signing, because what that signaled, I think, to anyone in the Southern California area, and like I think that like you could argue to an extent, like world football has always had this like like race has a huge role to play in like the development of the sport throughout the world. And like from everything from far right, you know, racist fans all over the world that we continually hear about and have to have to deal with like in different countries to like, you know, folks who want to harpen back to like the glory days of like European dominance in football and Europeans inventing it and the Eurocentricism of like, yeah, like the white born sport. Right. And like, I think that that all of that history and all of that, like the choice to tell that story in certain ways, like happens on a sub sub level when you bring in a player like David Beckham and you're kind of like introducing him in a certain way. And and just the way he was the first, the first galaxy game I ever covered, the first soccer game I ever covered was a galaxy game against Toronto FC. When I was a student, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but you know, just how he behaved in the in like the prep, the post game. I think the Galaxy won like four nil or something. But he was just an asshole, man. Like I've got very little respect at all for David Beckham. Like just based on that one personal interaction that I had with you him. You don't need to be polite or nice when you're that beautiful. <laughs> but like I think that that you you could say you know look hey man he could have been a different player from a different country you know it could have been a a, a, a player from another part of the world. He could have been a non-white player, but he was the player he was. And he came in when he came in. Right. And I think yeah. that like, 
to an extent that had a ripple effect across MLS and sort of like started this narrative that in some senses pushes back against the earliest, earliest days of MLS, which seemed to be a little bit more welcoming. And now we're all like now pushing back against that. Um, I, I, you know, I, am not, and do not pretend to be a, a guy who's followed MLS from the beginning, the way Doug has. So he, he's more accurate to speak on it, but like here in Southern California, going to a galaxy game when, you know, all those years from when they moved to Carson until 2014, it was extremely easy to get free tickets to Galaxy games at any time, anywhere. You, you, I, I was just like a satellite, you know, guy who followed Arsenal, I, I constantly getting invited to games because there was just they didn't have people to go to the stadium, and every time you'd go, it just felt like a suburban white picnic, you know, and it just wasn't ever compelling they wanted to make this like family atmosphere which to me was like another euphemism for like a white led white driven suburban experience um and i use that term also to like be inclusive of you know yes the stands might have had a little bit of diversity in there but like maybe even some of those families who were non-white that they were targeting were like white aspirant like they you know what i mean like it was like White as like the, not just the racial limiter, but like the the erase the eraser of all other things. So that's why it felt like there was no, like there was nothing there, and there, we all would go to games there and feel no life. So, anyways, that's my big ramble. That's <laughs> why the Galaxy ramble. Home Kit is white. <laughs> hey, I mean, I don't think that's an accident. You know what I mean? I really don't. Uh, that actually, no, that kind of tracks. Uh, I, I remember the fact that MLS kind of had this initiative in the 2000s to intentionally go into suburban areas. That's why you saw some clubs build them out there, like Chicago built out in the middle of fucking nowhere, uh, Columbus Crew as well, and I, some other team, and, and the Galaxy, of course. And now that you had me thinking, I didn't think about this element beforehand, but it almost feels like I didn't think about this take before. It feels like che- the sign when the, when they got Chicharito, that's probably the first touch they've gotten back into that fold since uh, they had Jorge Campos in the original squad back in '96. Like, right? Seems like- and and I was just gonna say, you know, they they did sign Giovanni dos Santos like right when right around the time that LAFC was coming into the fold. But I think that was out of even in response to like, uh oh, like they're gonna actually care about like other people in the city, and so they were trying to yeah, completely you you. you you nailed it. Yeah. I didn't I didn't quite think about that all that till now, but it's an interesting point to make there. Yeah. Doug and Doug, can you I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, oh no, my god. Uh, fuck, point. Sorry. Fuck, yeah. fuck me. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> zoom pods, bro. No, but I was just gonna say, like, it kind of goes back to to what Doug said as well with, with his front office and having someone that that understands that community. And and that was kind of the blessing in disguise, I think, with everything that started with LAFC. When you see the beginning of that office that front office forming it was it was rich who understands la it's pat who understands a different side of la imad uh marcus um then ben coming in and and you know all these people that represented different parts of la and and was passionate about their la community and bringing all those ideas together um i think is really what laid a good foundation for us to to kind of build upon and and you know along with that and- those people being willing to to you know communicate with each other instead of just telling us what the hell is going to happen. I also think it's important that all those names you just mentioned were non-white people. Yeah, like you know what I mean. I, we still love you too, Larrys. 
Shout out Larry, my chosen people. That my point is like in the front office itself was a representation of the city. Yeah. Right. Like, and that's it, it has to be across the board. It can't just be. It has to be on the field. It has to be in the front office, and it has to be in the supporters, and all that has to be singing together. If you're going to be an accurate representation of the city. Yeah, and and it's kind of the perfect kind of representation of what LAFC and the Galaxy represent is this the the white is for sure the color they chose they want to be the Hollywood side of LA right um the glitz and glamour and whatever and you know like it's it's just like the movie industry right now like unless they're bringing in these little marvel superheroes from all over the world like it's not going to sell anything um but yeah man it's it's just kind of I know I had a different point in my head when I started this statement, but once again, my brain is not working today, yo. <laughs> I mean, speak, speaking of the Hollywoodness of it, man, like um, I've mentioned this on the pod before, but on Paul. Oh wait, with, sorry. Oh, so Let go me go, go right back. The Hollywood part of it, meaning like it's it's all the transplants and people from Connecticut that get marketing jobs, like like Josh Spice, um, in, in Jersey, in LA. Same, same. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but yeah, all right, yeah. Go on. See, I knew there was a point. Jesus, that was on. a little. I was, I was a little, um, a little too focused. I think. Sorry, you worked for the Clippers. You worked for the Clippers, bro. It made sense. Uh, fuck <laughs> me, dude. Uh, let me say this first and foremost: fuck the Clippers. Um, <laughs> I want. I wanted to also say on the Hollywood tip, like. On par with Beckham for me as an East Coast kid um, to see it, man. I want to hear Doug talk about the Freddie Adu of it all. Like, give me a little Freddie take, man. Because, like, Freddie was also on Sports Illustrated at, like, 15 years old. And we um, – I think that was the closest I ever became to uh, – ever ever coming to, like, supporting the U.S. national team because I've always had Korea to root for. But seeing Freddie Adu, like, you know, just like a young black kid – in dc just rocking it at 15 16 was like such a revolutionary thing like what was the hype around it what was then eventually like what happened to your guys at uh kind of excitement after freddie became what he was but yeah give give me your freddie do take man i mean at one point i remember i was only mere feet away from him because i had a game back in those days uh we had an opportunity to like do the thing with the waving the flag on the field, throwing some t-shirts in the stands i remember freddie just being like six feet away from us high-fived us all and I was just like, holy shit, I just high-fived Freddie Adu here. Um, in terms of the hype, that shit was unreal. It was a legitimate thing here. Like, I remember even news stations talking about him and talking about DC United in a way you never saw here. And we're mm. like, holy shit, they're making national waves for this. Uh, and then his first game got a lot of attention. But I remember RFK exploding, that first goal he scored, which was pretty damn good. In terms of what happened to the kid that man just entered an absolutely batshit locker room some of the people on that team i love but also they were absolute maniacs that a 14 year old kid had absolutely no business being around um i i'll have to find the tweet one day but there's an old aleko eskandarian take uh tweet from so aleko eskandarian was our former striker they were on the 2004 team together that won the mls cup and one of the stories was the fact that dima kovalenko the midfielder was like hey there was a time where you beat me in uh, ping pong and I threw a hot pot of coffee at you. Yeah, my bad about that. Like 15 years after the fact, this is who Freddie Adu was around. As a 14-year-old. Yeah, he probably definitely had to 
make apologies from a therapy session. Oh, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> that poor kid saw some shit back in that team. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I felt bad for him. I was like, I think one of the underrated moments that I'll give him credit to is that uh, he got, when I, I earlier mentioned the 2004 Eastern Conference final game, people forget he got, I don't remember if he subbed or got subbed in, but kid took the penalty kick and he made it like cold ice got one of the penalties that uh, buried it right into the goal and won us the Eastern Conference final. People don't forget that. He helped win us a chip here. Our last one, no less. Mm. And you talked about seeing, like, uh, Ronaldinho and the friendly line. Like, was was there – I mean, Freddie was never going to be the kind of tricker and the player that, that, uh, the, that Ronaldinho was. But did you sense that kind of, like, buzz and aura around him when they were watching him at RFK? Uh, it wasn't Ronaldinho Early days. level. I guess it wasn't Ronaldinho level. Ronaldinho was a whole nother stratosphere. But there was definite hype. And I remember the bowls being fuller for his first game here. Because it, it was becoming legitimately hype. At one point, I remember uh, there was an ad he did for Sierra Mist that he did with Pele, of all people, that was running mm. everywhere. So he was like in the national spotlight. And they were like, the spotlight was on DC United like no tomorrow. Where I was just like, what the fuck is going on? We were not used to that shit. Like, it's one thing if you were just big in MLS, but Freddie was making like national stardom. And he was also famous for dating. Um, oh my God, I was just talking about this with some. My brain's now farting as well. <laughs> he was dating a really famous singer. So that also added to everything else going on. And I, I, I'd have to like Google her name in a hot second. Slim is Google. I see him. See him on the Googs right now. Did he's he hopping on? He's hopping on. So I uh, am curious, sort of now thinking about failed Manchester United rejects who have done horrible things throughout the world for the game of football. And so it brings us to Wayne Rooney. What did Wayne Wayne Rooney do to like yeah, like the DC United fan base? Like, did you see Jojo? an influx of? <laughs> Of a uh, of a certain kind of fan at that point, did it not have any effect? Did it? Uh, I don't know. Give us give us your overall takes on like kind of how that influenced what it, what happened. It it definitely drove up unreal amounts of hype. I uh, so full disclosure, I've also supported Manchester United. So me personally, I was like, boo. Uh, boo! <laughs> boo! <laughs> that shit was like I've joked with other people. I was like. I know people that do like all sorts of, you know, uh, foot and all that stuff in FIFA or even back in the day would just like put all their favorite players in a roster. I was like, man, Wayne Rooney on DC United. I'm not doing that shit. That's ridiculous. Why the fuck would anyone do that in a video game? <laughs> fuck me. He did it in real life. How the fuck was I supposed to know that? I didn't even do that shit in FIFA on the PS2 back then. That highlight is probably the one I see almost as much as I see that Zlatan highlight. Is the one he he chases down the ball and, and kicks it from from the middle and that was insane. That I I was there in the stands when that happened and Oof. I genuinely hugged like ten people I didn't even know. Like I saw him darting out on my left hand side. He's going down the field. He does a tackle. I'm thinking, okay, he got him. I can't believe he even got him. He he does that kick. It's curling up. It's like the longest ten seconds of my life. I slow see motion like, as fuck. Slow motion. I'm like. There's no way, no way, no way, no way. Oh, my God. And I see Acosta coming in. I was like, oh, fuck. He does it. 
like blackout at that point and yeah. i'm like hugging like 10 different people i don't even know their names i don't know who the fuck you are but i'm gonna give you a hug anyway because holy shit what did i just see yeah that was crazy i it's the craziest shit i've ever seen we that that's the exact opposite reaction of what we had in the other highlight i spoke of <laughs> i i know what you're talking about i'm gonna not reference it for y'all's sake <laughs> You could have not even mentioned that. And just mentioned what did I say in the world. last episode, Spice? Koreans love suffering. <laughs> I want to fucking whip myself. But um, th- as <laughs> the Premier League is more popular than ever in the States, and DC has always been a hotbed for the big Premier League teams to kind of do their friendlies, to roll through, and so you have contingents of huge, huge United fans, small Arsenal fans, big, big United fans, you know, <laughs> everywhere you see it. Um, but do you see that? Did you see like that this one was different when Rooney came over? Because Rooney was still very much in the, I mean, in the FIFAs, you know what I'm saying? Like you could actually play him on FIFA the, the year before and on United. So did you see, did you see a new kind of more, uh, like more European uh, minded, Premier League minded uh, fan come back or come to DC United games? Oh, yeah. Uh, you could see all sorts of Man United jerseys in the crowd when that shit was going on. Like the amount of, jerseys of of uh with rooney on it was everywhere mostly man united i would spot a couple of evertons around but in a general sense it definitely brought out more premier league fans out because you're just like holy shit i can't believe this man is playing right here it's still the strangest thing to think about that it happened nothing will ever uh yeah nothing will ever trip me up than when i saw his retirement post and he showed the photos of him in all four jerseys and i'm just like that man wore this kit. How the fuck? <laughs> what? It didn't even feel real to me. But in a, but to go back to your point, yeah, it brought out more than a few Premier League fans out there. That would probably be the highest times of um, spot a random jersey of any kind. Yeah, like you, it would draw out a lot of European casuals. You could see like Barca jerseys, United jerseys, all sorts of random jerseys out in the crowd more than ever when he was here. And you, as, as kind of a, a MLS 1.0 baby, like, do you feel like, I mean, when I started following LFC, it just became like uh, Premier League MLS watch, right? Like, who's who's more most likely to to have, to have a finishing stint here in in the MLS? And then I quickly realized like LFC is not building some they're building themselves up to be that. Uh, what the Galaxy were, or even what DC United pulled off at getting Rooney, but. Where do you see that as part of our league and our and our game and even your club? Because you've had some really famous um, kind of European starlets, as they call them, do their one last tour um, through, through you guys. Like, do you feel like that's something that you continue on as long as it fits? Like, where where do you see that going in the future? I mean, it's apparently possible that this could keep going on if these Gareth Bale rumors are possible. I don't know. I I'm going to put that as a ten percent, but possible. I thought Rooney was ten percent. I'm I'm fine with it if it fits the strategy because for all it's worth, Rooney did a lot here and he worked his ass off. So I was pretty his his ending kind of came abrupt, unfortunately. But when he was on, he was on one and he contributed a lot. So I I don't know. I wouldn't hate it, but I'm like, y'all better find the right dude. Otherwise, you don't want dead weight like when Steven Gerrard came over and he was absolutely useless. Mm-hmm. And on that note, <laughs> yeah, that's a good note. That's a good note. Yeah, Steve on that note absolutely useless. garbage, fucking trash person. <laughs> I feel I figured that was a good one for y'all. <laughs> on that note, we'll take our second break and be back with some tea time.
Waduh. Welcome back. <laughs> FC FC Pod. Uh, Doug. Yo. The DRC from the DMV. Man, I'm so happy to be here with you guys. We we got to kick it in Atlanta. Hopefully, we're going to get to do another in-person match soon. I'm over here. It's tea time. You know, normally in this segment of the podcast, I'd be uh, sipping this with y'all. But as it were, I'm just over here still crushing those Chinese greens from E-Man. Shout out T-Habitat on the track. She's about to get a couple new shipments in. They got held up in Guangzhou because there was lockdowns in China. But I just got the word on the burner they released the packages. They should be coming soon, y'all. They should be coming soon, so baby. All, you know they're going to have all the long jeans, all those Westlake Dragon Wells. They're going to be Hell coming yeah. in hot in early May. So just keep your keep your trigger fingers on your mouse. It's like as soon as those go, go live, that drop, it sells out quick, y'all. So hit them greens. Throw them in your favorite cup. Heat it up to about 85 Celsius pop some leaf in there and you're going to be having yourself a time you're so cultured with your celsius <laughs> and on that note this you probably use the metric system <laughs> <laughs> you know what don't know what's funny i once wrote an article about the metric system uh for a humor magazine and submitted it to them thinking that like i i for sure it was like for sure you're gonna get published <laughs> and they like promptly rejected it like it was the worst idea of all time <laughs> and uh that was sort of when i decided to start ghostwriting and hiding behind uh fake al- aliases because i just lost all the confidence it was the metric <laughs> system that did it to me bro <laughs> i don't think you really lo- yeah you didn't really load yourself up for success there i mean it's like you <laughs> you should have bet on yourself on a, on, a, on a funnier topic for a fucking humor magazine dog than the metric system well, enough about my failures. <laughs> we can keep about, going. Let's talk about Duke Ellington for a minute. Um, shout out to the Rose Room. Rose Room, uh, Duke Ellington, great hit. In a sentimental mood, another, you know, my favorite Duke Ellington composition. Uh, Duke Ellington is an interesting figure in jazz and American music, and you guys should check his shit out for sure. But DMV's got got a got a musical history and and a lot of imprint, kind of a a low key influence on the world of music for many years. And Doug, I was just curious, like diving a little bit more into the culture of the DMV, like what what kinds of things about DC do you love? Like musically, we can hit musically first, and then dive into some other things and. Try to get some people out to Audi Field the next time LAFC play uh, DC United. Sure. Uh, I mean, I guess if we want to start off with music, you've got to talk about the go-go scene here. Like, that's where it starts and ends. It's our biggest export out of here. It's what keeps us going. We've had legends coming in and out of here. Both living- give, us, give us some of the go-go, go-go hits, go-go legends, go-go that, you know, sometimes you just throw on when, you, when, you feel, when you're feeling like you need a little bit of go-go DC in your veins. I mean, it, Chuck Brown's the godfather of it. That's the dude you'll always hear first. I'll also pull up groups like Rare Essence. They'll be around. Junkyard Band, TCB. 
those are crews like if you ever need to be like, okay, what the hell's a go-go band? That's what you should probably be looking out for. And then even recently, uh, Wally brought out a new album, and he has a very specific track that I having I'm having a brain fart moment, and I forgot the name of it. But it's the first time I've really heard go-go and rap mixed in together as well as I've ever seen before. Ooh, are, we I was talking, like, are we talking about old Wale? Are we, are we bringing back the old Wale here then? Let's, let's uh, get into that. Um, I was just going to make mainly mention um, Florence, who was what he did with that particular track, Jump In. I just remember the name. Jump In is an absolutely incredible track that the beat of that and the speed at which he goes, I've never heard before. And I was like, yo... This is new. I've never heard this. This is incredible. And I didn't think he had that in him, but I was like, all right. Well, it's um, funny because I actually got, I learned about DC's go-go hood from Wale through 100 Miles and Running, through Mixtape About Nothing, those early mixtapes. He would talk about like DC history of music. And I didn't really have a lot of exposure to DC music. So I was sort of learning about a little bit about it through him. And he had like a kind of couple hints. So to hear him back on that, because I think he kind of, lost his way and went astray with the whole he became kind of a meme <laughs> like a joke in the <laughs> rap world basically um but for to hear him kind of come back to the roots that's an that's a, an exciting development i'm excited to listen to a wale track for the first time in probably eight years he did a really great job with that one that i was like yo okay okay i um i'll also give a shout out because i'm a little biased on this and i'll explain why bo young bo young prince is a new talent that's come out of here he was making mixtapes for a while, but he finally got Groovy Land out of here. And mm-hmm. it's spectacular. And he's been getting his name out in different soundtracks. He was a part of um, the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse uh, movie. He also got featured in uh, one of the past iterations of the Madden soundtrack with an original track. And also coming uh, the Coming to America sequel, whose name I completely forgot. Mm. Um, and I'm biased because not only he's a DC native, uh, I, myself and my co-founder Aaron went to college with him at Guilford College. Hell yeah. But I always want a classmate. B- so I also want to, Bo Young Prince, BYP. Oh, yeah. Want to shout him out. He's killing it out here. So, uh, not think, surprised, not to f- surprised to find out Doug's a little bit of a music head, y'all. You know, he names this. I'm not even that. <laughs> what are you talking about, bro? You're not even that. You just went on a go-go journey and then hit up this next little layer of DC music, bro. I I guess I'm always I I because I live here. It feels like the easiest thing to mention, but I guess outside of here, it's not as well known. So and I lose that perspective sometimes. Mm. Well, what other what other kind of like things about DC culture do you love? Um, I feel like DC and Los Angeles share one big similarity in that, like, you think of DC and you think of wash like the political establishment, the White House, like all the you know the governmental buildings. Just like when people think about Los Angeles, outsiders often think about Hollywood, and it sort of just it dominates the narrative, right? But I know for sure, like you know, whether it's like chocolate city and like uh dc being like a very black city and and having a lot of black culture like there are all these other elements to dc that um you know as someone who's only been there just the one time i'm sure i don't even know about so what other what other kind of like cultural things you love about the city uh it's a funny thing whenever we talk about washington dc together my my fun way to and i'm not the only one that does this uh whenever we talk about the political scene 
I will always say that's Washington. That's not DC. I'm from DC. If you talk about Capitol Hill, that's Washington. Mm. Um, that's a fun way. I there, there ain't no there ain't now. no W and DMV, bro. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think one thing I love to, and I was thinking about this before this pod started. If there's one thing I can also be appreciative of. And going back to myself, and one thing that I would argue L.A. and D.C. are connected with is the Salvi population here. Two of the biggest Salvadoran populations are in our two respective regions. Like, the amount of, uh, like, for example, our Propusa scene, you can find that shit everywhere here. It's fucking incredible. The only other times I can ever t- think of it tasting any better is in the motherland itself. Um the brunch scene here can get absolutely dangerous in a way that is incredible, <laughs> but also beware at your own risk. Uh, especially if you try, I almost say don't do that shit on a game day because you, I don't know if you'll survive the day. Doug, uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about mimosa right now. What's, what's the, what's the alcohol of choice in a brunchy? Uh, DC brunch. You can find tons of bottomless mimosa stuff here. And, that shit will flow when the vibe is going strong and other stuff. I'm trying to think. I know that the, another big population of immigrants that the, our two cities share is a uh, Ethiopian population. Isn't there mm. like a pretty massive Ethiopian population in the DC area? Yeah. We've got our selection of Ethiopian spots around here that I cannot recommend enough. And that's mm. also a really nice cultural link we can have here. Um, even down to, um, there's a brand new fried chicken spot that's been opening a local chain around here founded by Ethiopian immigrants and it's some of the best shit I've ever eaten in my life and I was like yes. oh yes please obviously like this feels like a common thing everyone will always mention Ben's Chili Bowl that's been a staple of this city for multiple generations now the half smoke that's our thing with chili on it oh what's wait what's what, what's the half smoke what's going on it's a it's a it's a particular kind of sausage with chili and cheese on it and you can also get chili cheese fries with it you should not eat it that often but when you do oh that shit's delicious and it's a ben's chili bowl is an institution that survived here since the civil rights era survived the riots here after mlk was assassinated it was one of the only establishments that survived it on u street not far from where i live and it's been a staple of this area since but that's always like everyone will always bring that up in any kind of travel show so uh, do you all do you all have a sandwich? Like, do you all have a, a namesake or a go-to DC sandwich? I know a lot of the cities across the Eastern Seaboard are are proud of a a sandwich offering or some kind of carb offering here. Uh, I mean, honestly, I would say that's our carb offering. Sandwiches aren't really our thing. Funny enough, mm. I was thinking about like in terms of food staple, I would almost argue our food staples are probably the half smoking pupusas here more than anything else. Any e- explain sandwich- mambo sauce to me. <laughs> Okay. Uh, <laughs> what was that like? Also, that was that's also no. This is a great topic. Uh, in terms of mambo sauce, it's like a. Uh, it like a. It's a tangy sauce. You you have to get. People are like, okay, where do you go? You have to get it at any Chinese carryout in the city, like any hole in a wall spot. If you go to any nice ass restaurant, it's a fraud. Don't do it. <laughs> you gotta. Um, my best advice: There's a particular street we have around here called Georgia Avenue. That's in the Northwest area around by like, uh, like Howard University and stuff like that. If you find a carry out anywhere along Georgia Avenue, go there and they'll have dope mambo sauce no matter what. That's it. If you go to anywhere else, you can get some store-bought stuff. You can go to like a higher scale restaurant, but the authentic stuff, no, you got to go at that. 
anywhere along Georgia Avenue, any kind of small hole in a wall spot. You got to do that. I that is this. the only way. They, they don't have a sandwich. They got a sauce. Wait, can, we, right. we, like can we can we talk real quick about Nando's? Because Nando's South African chicken, peri peri chicken spot. When I went to South Africa in 2010, that shit was like, I fell in love with it. I, I was obsessed. I brought home like each of the flavors. Like I was like into it. I, I was eating it like probably like twice, three times, four times a day. And no, I'm just kidding. I like once a day I was hitting the Nando's up in Joburg, but like I came back home and I realized the only Nando's in America were all concentrated in DC. And then like later because of Arsenal fan TV and my obsession with watching all things Arsenal, I hear troops like kind of using Nando's as like a diss. So I don't know if it's like actually like looked up on or looked down on. What's your take on Nando's? Nando's? How are we calling it? Or how are we rocking it? Um, I think it's fine. I'm not going out of my way to go get it. It's if you're out somewhere, it's pretty good. It's not a thing. I didn't really know that it was so sought after. That's the thing. They started popping up around here, along with like when other gentrification started hitting around parts of the city. So I was like, okay, this spot. It's fine, sure. And I've eaten there. I was like, no, oh, that's pretty good. And then I look online. I'm like, whoa, people are lusting after this stuff. I had no idea. Yeah, I like. Again, I don't know. I don't know what it's like in the U.S., but in South Africa, South Africans loved it. I loved it. They were recommending it to me. I were eating it all the time, and it felt like this like treasure. And then I, like I said, I came. There's only really one place in LA that sells South African food. Uh, it's called Springbok, and it's in like North Hollywood area. But they don't. I don't even know if they have the peri peri. I don't even know if it's on point like that. But peri peri is like the African bird eye chili for those who don't know. And it's like, like a very, very specific chili taste. And if you love spicy food, like you know that there's all these different chilies that kind of offer so many different kinds of spiciness. Nando's is like always like a really specific one to me that we don't really have access to. And when I looked just now at the website, I was blown away. Like there are so many Nando's locations in the DMV. I think like it looks like there's like over 20 locations. And the fact what? that there's like zero. Yeah, there's like a lot. It's, we have a lot. I was going to say. Sure, I'm one- confused. Like how could, so, how could they have so many there? But like it hasn't really expanded. I think there's a couple in Illinois now uh, versus like the last time I looked at this 10 years ago. But like, it's pretty remarkable that there could be that many locations. I, I'm going to be real. I have absolutely no idea why that happened. They just blew up around here. And I was like, I, fuck if I know. I didn't realize that how much people sought after it until, I, funny enough, there was an NWSL player who plays for OL Reign who came to play the Spirit in a game. And she tweeted about freaking out about the amount of Nando's is here. Jessica Fishlock, she's a Welsh player who tweeted about how much she loves having Nando's back at Wales and then nowhere else in the USA has them until she came to play the spirit here. And she was like, wait a minute. Oh my God. Y'all have so many Nando's. What the fuck? And I saw her freak out. I was like, I didn't know that was a thing. I just counted the locations and I just, I I want to make sure people understand the concentration of Nando's of the DMV. There are 29 (laughs) Nando's locations. (laughs) That's crazy. So many. That's so many. I have no idea. I mean, it's fine. I thought it was, it's pretty good stuff. I didn't think there was this obsession over it. Twenty nine is kind of wild. Yeah. Well, I'm obsessed with it. And I mean, if you're going to open twenty nine locations, it has to have like a certain following, right? Like, there's no way they could have that many and it not, you know, not. Be I mean, popping off. they're successful here. I always see them pretty, like, always pretty filled up. So I'm like, 
and and, I, and like like I said, it's there. If it's there, I'll go. You know, if I'm hungry, I'll, it's it's solid. I really didn't expect that to have like this whole following and shit. I have a feeling it's kind of like, you know, I bet in in the UK and countries with big South Africa South African populations or populations of like African bigger populations of like West African or South African food, like you know, there's probably better versions like Perry Perry, like peri peri chicken dishes that are just like better and nando's is more of like the chipotle of that and so that's why it's probably like used as an insult like you're the like you're like the light version you're not like the soul food real version of it that's like cooked by like the grandmas and like the the little like hole in the wall spot but since we don't have even that version like we gotta go with nando's so anyways nando's come to the west coast uh yeah okay sorry <laughs> i didn't want to turn this into nando's pod but this is what happens with tot these guys are gonna dive ourselves deep yeah boy Nando's sponsor FCFC pod right now. Oh, yeah. We'll take that shit. Dude, we're going to start a campaign to bring Nando's to LA. Free chicken. Please. Yeah, well, I personally personally want to come to to DC. I like that season 2019 when we, I think we got a pretty good result there, as I remember. But there was like several LAFC fans talking about going. I think Parquita might have gone. Shout out to Parquita that year. I really wanted to like go check out Audi Field. It's always looked like a good ground, and you know we respect we respect the early MLS, uh, the ways that DC's paved paved the way, and we also know that Washington Spirit are the defending uh, NWSL champions. Is that right? Hell so, yeah, they are. They and as ha- someone as someone who's now official Angel City, gonna go to a game with my season tickets. I'm trying to figure out what the NWSL is all about. Let's go. Your internet be okay, cutting sorry, in and yeah, out. Yeah, your internet just kind of took a shit in between all oh, of shit. that. Oh man, really? I, you, it's it's you shitting again. It, well, it's been shitting a few times today. No, you didn't. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm spending too much time uh, looking up Nando's things and watching Nando's videos. It's taking up all my internet power. But uh, let's move to okay. Time for recommendations. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Josh is done. Josh is done. Recommend. Uh, I'll, I'll go first since we're on the food topic. Um, Blossom Market Hall is a new food hall in um, is it Alhambra somewhere in the SGV, uh, but they have a bomb Caribbean spot in there called Caribbean Gourmet. Uh, hit it up, get you some oxtail, get you some beef patty. Um, yeah, fire. Ooh. I got I got the next one. Um, the first one was Disney Plus's Moon Knight. I'm fucking obsessed. And uh, yeah, if anyone's watched the show and wants to talk about it, please DM me. I want to talk about Josh it. Josh needs friends. Yes, and then what led what what led to some some great Moon Knight uh, deep dives? I refound uh, the Ringers podcast, uh, House of R, and the Midnight Boys. And I went down to Midnight Boys. Uh, it, it's run by the guy Van Lathan. They got old TMZ dude, and they do um, they do a great video series on. They do a black superhero draft, and one of the guys tries to they like essentially draft the greatest black superheroes of all time throughout comics and fandom. And one of the guys tries to draft Piccolo as, as a black superhero. <laughs> <laughs> I won't ruin the rest of you, but uh, that uh, is too funny. Great. So yeah, oh, that's amazing. Guy, oh, I got to hear the midnight arguing yeah. about why Piccolo is black. That's great. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, oh, hell yeah. Doug, uh, Doug how about you, man? Yeah. Um, any random recommendations? 
I'm not gonna lie. Okay, I, this might be kind of a tired thing, but I'm like, all right, I get it. Damn, they get it. I also am one of those people that watched uh, the F1 show Drive to Survive on Netflix. Yes. And I, I'm sorry, that shit is really fucking good, and it's got it's me now correct. watching Formula One. I know. I can't believe another sport I have to wake up in the middle of the night for. God <laughs> this damn it. Bullshit. I, I, already, I already hate doing this for a soccer team. I, at this point, I fucking hate anyway. So <laughs> I'm like, well, why now? But... So if so if Lewis if Lewis Hamilton if Lewis Hamilton buys Chelsea buys Chelsea as an Arsenal fan a lifelong Arsenal fan is he just gonna run him into the ground like I think he is? Nah, money no, I think he likes money too much. <laughs> he <laughs> likes money too much. Like. Lewis, he, Lewis Hamilton is no fool. He he knows not to give up that much money for something like that. Yeah, you can't fake that accent for that long. <laughs> by being a fool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. man. Yeah. So wait, who's your who's your F1 team? I haven't decided. I'm still it's kind so of hard. It's hard. There's certain teams I am like kind of leaning towards, but I haven't really decided and I'm still not sure yet. I am admittedly the two teams I think I'm leaning towards are uh Haas and McLaren. McL- come to the McLaren side, bro. I I'm like they've got a good combination between Ricardo and Norris. Like those R- Ricardo's dead. They're gonna they gotta get rid of him in a year or two. It's that's the thing though. I really like that dude, but damn, he's gotta do better. Otherwise, I he's kind of screwed. Um, and then, that one's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't know what it is that dude uh, Gunther Steiner that runs the Haas team. That dude's oh, a I character. I love Gunther. I love Gunther. I love that man. So that's why I'm kind of like mm, and and. That when they brought back Magnuson it and getting rid of Mazepin, it made that team instantly more likable. Yeah. Bring yeah. bring back Cyril. Yeah, oh, Cyril man. is Cyril is the sauce on that. Come a on. little spicy. He's a very sauce, yeah. He's a very, very sauce. Oh my oh no. <laughs> what about you, Dewey's? What, what's your rec for this week? Go to Nando's. No, I'm just kidding. Uh <laughs> so I'm gonna I got a two parter. It's both music, both related to the DMV. Part one, yeah, obviously listen to Duke Ellington, but if you want to kind of tie one of my favorite renditions of In a Sentimental Mood, as well as the, you know, the famous one with John Coltrane, is a version that's sung by Natasha Agrama, who's a singer, a jazz singer here in Los Angeles, kind of came up through the low-end scene. The version she does has George Duke on the pianos and Stanley Clark on the bass, so it's just a collection of jazz current jazz legends doing a, D, a DC born and bred classic from, from, from Duke Ellington. And then my other recommendation is, you know, from the Virginia side of the DMV, Pusha T dropped a new album, y'all. And it's almost dry. Like, look, I'll, I'll admit it. We got to shout out to Benny Blanco, my cousin who loves Pusha so much. Uh, yes. Over you the stop years. selling cocaine. You got to start again. If you want to listen to this <laughs> album. No, what's interesting. Yeah. Like, this time around, I was not ready. Like, I was just like, am I really ready to listen to another Pusher album talk about the same thing he's been talking about for 20 years? And then I read an interview that he did, which he said, I've been making the same album for the last 20 years. And he's just <laughs> getting better and better at making that album. So it's, actually like, it's actually like really good. And so like in a twisted, perverse way, like only talking about one thing is actually getting narrow and narrower down to like perfect. So 
yeah, he's, listen he's to Japanese with his reps, bro. He's just perfecting the yeah, same fucking, exactly. he's making the same bowl of rice every fucking day. Exactly. So <laughs> you know, just just look at it as that if you if you can't handle the the references. Uh, but you know, if you can't handle the references, you can get a lot out of them too. So there you go. <laughs> Push a T. It's almost dry. DMV stand up. You already know what it is. Do, 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 do. <laughs> and on that note. This has been another episode of the Epsi Epsi Pod. What the hell just happened to my mouth? Damn, we were having a bad. We are. I, I know I'm at a bad night too. It's a it's a Tuesday night, y'all. We're not. Yeah, yeah. you know what? Fuck you guys. Bye. I'm having a great night. FCFC. FCFC. FSA, 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 FSA,